Uh, I think, Ed, we both predicted a win or maybe I predicted a nil-nil draw and you predicted a win. I predicted a win. I think you may have predicted a draw, yes. We are both wildly, wildly, wildly optimistics. Yeah, but look, United had 26 shots last night, so clearly we were the moral victors in this game. We're on course. I, I can feel it. It was just a setback. You know, we're a bit disappointed, but we've got to keep on working and show what we're made of. We're chipping away, to quote the manager. We're chipping, chipping away, away. Chipping away at my sense will, of self-worth. <laughs> your will to live. Will um, to live. The, uh, the thing is, I've seen a lot of new low talk about that game, but that isn't even close to a new low performance-wise because we actually did have some two-thirds chances or half chances or yes. a, at least a third chances in that game. But it it feels like a new low vibe. If we were to do perform a vibe check, it would be like vibe check, new low? Yeah, new low, absolutely, yeah. new low. Well, strictly speaking, 0.15 HG was our best chance last night. So not really a third chance, more of a no. sixth okay. chance mathematically. But, you know, well, hey... Um, as I found out on Twitter this week by uh, debating this with some people, uh, probabilistic models are not well understood. The the, the only thing that I, I didn't understand about the XG model is I was surprised that the Martial chance, which he took on his left foot while falling backwards, yes. wasn't a higher percentage chance because it no, looked because like it's a not pretty just good chance. The, um, but uh, the way the models have kind of uh, evolved over time, as I understand it, and they're all different and some of them prior proprietary of course is that it's not just where the shot was taken from there's of course xgot which is post shot post striking the ball so xg is just at, at the moment of impact um but where all the players are around him including own players and opposition players positioning of the goalkeeper where the cross had come from all factor into the model as well which is why his shot against liverpool for example was very very low xg as well bouncing ball um, yeah. defender in front of him and so on. So uh, statistically this... speaking, maybe he's a good striker, scores that goal and the one he's uh, done, or a better striker, sorry, I should say, um, scores that one and the one against uh, Burnley last night from the Wambazaka cross. But on average, they're not scored very often, those two chances. The, the, the thing is as well, like, it, it the, as you said, people don't understand a probabilistic model. So it's not like a better striker scores it. It's a better striker scores it a higher percentage of the time. So maybe the XG yes. is a tad low for Martial, who is a very good finisher and Correct. has has been quite good at number nine almost all season. I don't... Well, I was going to say I don't understand the criticism, but sadly, I think I absolutely do understand the criticism and he just looks a bit sullen and so people are like oh get him out he's Nikola Anelka you know when actually yes. he's nothing so, like so that. can you explain to me and Jason McAteer exactly why it was Paul Pogba's fault that United lost to Burnley yesterday absolutely insane I mean we've talked about this ad nauseum the the nature of the criticism that Pogba gets and the yeah. insidious origin of it but this was just a, a telling example of that it's been a, a week for absolutely fascinating TV coverage, though, because we had Roy Keane, like, 
tying himself in knots to defend Oli Solskjaer. And then after this game, it was very interesting to watch the sort of differences between Rio Ferdinand and Roy Keane. Because Rio Ferdinand's default position is that he clearly wants Solskjaer to be a success, not just because he likes Man United and wants him to do well, not just because he banged the table and said, give him the job, but because they played together and he likes him. And that is a completely reasonable Desire, like it's completely reasonable to kind of be a bit more defensive of your friends. I can think of things that I've not said on this show because of people that I know listen to this show. Like we've all done it, but Rio actually forced himself to at least start to say, this is nowhere near good enough. No, And and look, I uh, fair play to Rio because he didn't just try and rationalize it again. And uh, he he gave a, um, a a thoughtful response to the obvious question on uh, Paul Pogba. I was scrolling through Twitter late at night, struggling to sleep. I'm I'm in a bad mood. One United lost. Two, uh, my back is a bit sore at the moment, so I wasn't really sleeping very well last night. So I was scrolling through Twitter, and I'd uh, I'd come across that Jason McAteer clip and uh, asked uh, rhetorically, of course, the Twitter sphere why exactly the Paul Pogba triggers the gammon so. And someone sent me the gif of. Um, Anchorman and um, Will Ferrell just, you know, with the black quote at the bottom. And I laughed so hard I woke my wife up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know it's not funny. Of course it's not funny. No. But that was true. Anyway, I didn't want to spend all the time talking about uh, Paul Pogba because uh, there are enough gammons uh, in the world uh, talking about Paul Pogba. We don't need to do it, do we? Exactly. Exactly. So um, let's talk about the game, shall we? Because... That was pretty pretty hard watch. Yeah, it was very very um like the first 20 minutes were absolutely abysmal. Like that was Olympiacos West Ham all the greatest hits like dreadful. Then there was a little bit of impetus, a little bit. The, there was one bit where um the matter dummy which I thought was absolutely lovely, where Taylor nicked the ball off uh, Martial. And then there was Wan-Bissaka, who, by the way, is officially exempt from the stick the rest of the players are getting. I thought Wan-Bissaka was excellent all the way through that game. Even his attacking output was excellent, which is rare. Four crosses he got in in that first half. And um, I I think uh, he gets criticism for the attacking output. and, And there are times when he checks back and it feels like he could go on, right? The thing that Trent Alexander-Arnold does is he always attacks the space and attacks the man. And so there's still room to grow. But he's better than he was at the start of the season as an attacking player, I think. Well, that's that. I mean, if that continues trajectory-wise, that's really good news. I mean, there was the one where Mata swung his right leg at it and it hit his standing left leg, which, by the way, if he'd hit that with his right leg, there's there's some XG for you right there, um, which is another flaw in the model, isn't it? Because you can't say United didn't create a chance there, but it wasn't turned into a registered chance in that sense. Um, but those are the positives... I mean, conceding the oh god, the goal concession, the sheer heart-wrenching inevitability from the moment the foul was committed of exactly what was going to happen, and the fact that both our central defender—I mean, Phil Jones is playing, so you know that's bad news anyway—but Phil Jones is out jumped by two Burnley players for the first ball. Um, I mean, I don't want to. I think it was Nemanja Matic, wasn't it? That lost that to. I've, Oh, maybe so. Listen, I could be wrong. I'd, uh, I maybe I've just got 
Phil Jones agenda built in. But talking of agenda, I don't want to kind of harp on because, as I said last week, I'm absolutely convinced we're, it's going to come out that Harry Maguire's like not being able to do anything is because he's broken. But yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, his yeah, his so speed he, of he movement. He made two mistakes, Maguire. Yeah, one one he's played uh, Burnley onside because it would have been VAR checked as offside if he hadn't done that for the first header. Uh, and then he's allowed Chris Wood to run straight across him. Classic strikers run. He's goal side. He's a yard and a half goal side. Wood's on the blind side of him, but he's 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 got his hand out. He's like he's doing that body language thing that defenders do, going, "I know you're there," and they just let him run across him. So, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's not an injury. He's just not as sharp as he should be. Yeah, because he's you know he rightly he's coming for some criticism, and I think probably perhaps more widely he's coming for less criticism than he should have done because there's a sort of built-in assumption that he's really great um that isn't necessarily playing itself out on the pitch but you know we're just like just from a very specific obviously the striker's movement is good and his finish is good and you know Burnley winning a second ball in the box is that United are not the first nor last team that will lose out to that and but we're just so bad from set pieces we can't afford defenders to be like not on it as well. Um, it was very depressing and very sort of inevitable. And and I properly, you said you burst out laughing at the wrongness of the tweet in the middle of the night. I burst out laughing when Jay Rodriguez scored that goal because it was so funny that like, here we are kind of pushing, desperately trying to claw back some semblance of respectability from this utter shambles in a half empty Old Trafford. And uh, and Jay Rodriguez scored like the, literally the best goal he's ever going to score in his life. Oh, no, that's right. I mean, talking about low HG, yeah, absolutely rammed that into the top corner. I mean, of course, before uh, before Wood had scored, he had a really good headed chance as well. So I mean, they could have taken a lead before that, but <laughs> Rodriguez won just as you you know, just what ten minutes into the second half, and you're thinking, well, can United get back into this? Can't be as bad as that first half because that was. Yeah, as bad as it gets, um, and he absolutely nails that into the top corner. And you can just say, like, Old Trafford was really flat anyway. It's raining because it's a Wednesday in Manchester, uh, and it's cold and it's miserable, and, you know, thousands of people haven't turned up, uh, and it's super, super flat, and the team's flat, and then he smashes that one in the top corner. You could just feel all the energy disappear from the team, and Old Trafford, and you just knew at that point there's no way United are coming back. There's just nothing. Which is absolutely mad, because, like, this is the first time, maybe even in my life, because I wasn't really aware enough of football before it started to change, that this would affect United a United side like this. Like, there's no fight back. There's no sense of, I mean, I know it's Fergie's gone a long time, but even in the last few years, we've had some pretty big fight backs and turnarounds and things like that. It just wasn't ever going to come close to happening. And we should talk. No. And, and like all those chances, like Solskjaer's done the thing that, that fans do. He's seen all those sort of half chances and pot shots. And he feels like that's United making progress. That's United giving it a real go. That's United in the game somehow. But all of those ones from outside the box. And there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 shots from outside the box. 
They, they go in one in a hundred. I mean, literally one in a hundred shots of those goes in. So we're only taking 26 shots. We've got to quadruple our shot output and then we'll be in the game. You know? Pointless pot shots and, FC. Like that's, we are, yeah. that's what, and like so much of the pattern of play in the first 20 minutes of that game ended up with the ball at Fred's feet near the outside of the D, like just time right. after time after time. Back, sideways, back, sideways. United had a very large number of both both possession, but also passes in the final third, but so few of them were progressive passes. And, you know, and it's like we, we talk about uh, the need for a number 10. To be honest, United need a progressive passer more than anything. It could be anywhere. It could be at number 10, could be number 8, could be a sort of uh, Andrea Pirlo, like deep-lying playmaker, number 6 type any of them just to shift the ball forward and be creative. And of course, Pogba is that kind of player. I think we need another one in another position, not least because Pogba spent the entire season injured. Um, but in this team right now, nobody. There's just nobody at all that's going to do it. And and it just means that this is what happens. It's, it's shots that come from half chances, from half clearances or long range, and they're all going to be really low XG. And you're just hoping for... And the reason why I go on about this is you're hoping for a piece of individual magic because there's nothing in the pattern of how United play that creates the kind of openings that you expect, say, City to create or Liverpool to create, but especially City where they work the team around. And that's why they walk so many balls in. It's not because they're trying to walk it in. It's because they've shifted the opposition around. United don't do that at all. I mean, I'd even go so far as to say, I mean, Burnley only had five shots last night, right? Um, and uh, and apart from Chris Wood's header, the one he didn't score, they're all difficult chances. But at least they know exactly what they're doing. Of a set piece, it's going long, and they're going to win the second ball. They're not trying to score straight from the, the set piece. Um, and for the rest of the time, they're playing it into the channels or they're playing it direct into the target man to get the second ball. So that's at least constructive. They know exactly what they're doing. United going back and side and back and side and back and side. They can do that all night. I mean, Nick Pope in, in the Burnley goal, he's made six saves, none of which were hard. He wouldn't have expected to say, le- le- not save any of those. No, absolutely. I'd say the hardest one, and it was not hard, was maybe the Daniel Dan James header from close range that he taps over the bar, but that was trivial. Like that, that they're all they're all much of a muchness. It was another dreadful attacking performance, and of course there are mitigating circumstances. Of course there are serious there are in you'd almost go okay so based on a combination of like who you think are the best players at the club and especially this season's form who are the two players that United least need to have injured in terms of outfield outfield players and obviously it's Pogba and Rashford and they're both missing but the whole edifice can't turn to absolute dust because Pogba and Rashford are injured. Otherwise, you've got really massive problems. And also, like as we have talked about, ad nauseum, and we'll continue to talk about ad nauseum. They're not just coincidentally, randomly injured. Like there's stuff going no, on. But that's right. You know. Right. So one of the things I want to talk about about this game is like Solskjaer's getting an awful lot of criticism, and that's not. I, he should be getting an awful lot of criticism. He's probably getting less criticism than he really should be getting in a lot of ways. But let's have a look at like what he did wrong on a personal level. Because we can say that he's done stuff wrong in terms of like papering over the cracks of lack of investment and being a sort of a positive PR friendly face of the regime. That That's all potentially viable. 
Um, the selection of Phil Jones over Axel Twanzebe, perhaps that was because Twanzebe was on the bench, right? Or did I, if I got that wrong? Maybe he wasn't even anyway. I don't but, even remember. So I could be wrong about that. But um, that that's clearly an issue anyway. Just picking Phil Jones in general is an issue. But otherwise, he's got Brandon Williams there, and that's clearly the right decision. In terms of midfield personnel, um, I think he's done the right thing to play Mata in this game. And I, I think that's sort of like Mata was at least bustly and active around the box which is a huge problem when he's not there like there's a a real lack of people running off the ball I think it's perfectly reasonable to pick Matic and Fred given the injuries that are happening at the moment I, I think it's very questionable to pick a front three of James Martial and Pereira I, I do think that that's a highly questionable decision and almost maybe yes. the most well, telling one I think Pereira's worst performances or at least where he's he's able to impact the game game least is when he's wide right. At least when he's sort of defensive 10 in the park role, quote-unquote, TM, Barker, 2020. Uh, he, he at least impacts the game in some form. It's not often with an attacking move, you know, something, but uh, at least defensively. On the right, I just, it's just so rare. There's that one game, game I completely forget which game it was where he put in a lovely ball from the right. Right, where United, yeah, can't remember which one. Blurred into the memory, but it's it's very it's very it's very irregular. Um, so I I really think one of Mata or Pereira has got to be the most. And then Dan James, he's he's dead. There's no way he should be playing almost every week. He hasn't scored since August. He's got a few assists, and he's a very willing trier, isn't he? He had one good effort, just went a bit wide, tried to curl it in last night. But he needs, he desperately needs a rest. And he's not getting a rest because Solskjaer apparently doesn't trust Mason Greenwood to start many games and doesn't trust Angel Gomez at all. And that's on the bench, not used. And that's once again, like, belies the PR altogether. Like, everything we do belies the PR. The we're building for the future, youth, dynamism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, okay, well, Dan James has both youth and dynamism in bucketfuls, to be fair. But Yeah, J- you know. James is young and so is Pereira, really. Although he's, he's got more seasons of first-team football. And, and United are sporting, at least in Premier League terms, the youngest squad or average age of first 11 in the Premier League but, at the moment. like, a lot of that is... M- Marcus Rashford plays every game and that's not faith in youth that's a kid that's played 200 games like the faith in youth happened four years ago with Marcus Rashford well three years ago when Louis van Gaal was like oh no it was four years ago when Louis van Gaal was like here you go kid everyone else is dead you play you know that that was the faith in youth so there's been some like investment in younger players and stuff but on a kind of micro level there is actually this kind of slight reluctance to really play the kids kids um a lot of the time and brandon williams is a is a good counter to that so it's not like it's not happening at all um yeah i mean i often feel with Solskjaer, you know of course we i always feel the need to caveat it much as you do of course we love ollie because of what he was as a player but i always feel he's um slightly um he's a bit scared as a manager you know he doesn't make bold substitutions i mean swapping a left back for a left back with 10 minutes to go and you're 2-0 down at home Wow. I mean, I, I hope it comes out that Brandon Williams... Take this right away. <laughs> hope it comes out that Brandon Williams is injured and that's why I took him off. I mean... I hope he isn't he isn't injured. But I just think it's just a, such a bizarre um, bizarre thing. You know, there's that... Um, 
Yeah, I think it's Bonaparte. He who fears being conquered is sure of defeat. And and I just feel like that is that is Solskjaer's problem a, a lot of the time, that he's just a bit scared. And he looks like it as well. He's honestly his interview after the game, I was just I was I was watching that from behind my hands. It was pathetic. His sort of shuffling around, trying to pretend things were good, but obviously defeated this time rather than the happy chappy, happy warrior that he often is. And then just just so obviously trying to get past the questions about is he getting support from above? Yeah, and and Des Kelly on BT Sport asked him, you know, obviously support's a big part of this and Solskjaer kind of straight batted the question a little bit and then Des Kelly went, no, I'm asking about transfers. And to his credit, I think, because I think he knew that Solskjaer knew he was asking about transfers. I thought it was quite a good question. And Solskjaer kind of looked like, oh no, I knew you were asking about that, really. Don't think you're too clever for me. And it's like, he doesn't think he's too clever. He thinks you're being an idiot. Like, you're, you're taking us all for idiots, actually, is what I mean. That, that you know to 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 kind of ignore those questions and just everything about that tone i have a lot of sympathy for Solskjaer on a personal level as well because it, it's hard to because i i do think all of this it's very easy to just be like he's just completely useless but you know you mentioned he's he's kind of playing scared and he definitely is but he wasn't scared to shift big personalities out of the club um who he felt weren't contributing that's 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 you know there's some ruthlessness in there along the way some boldness like getting rid of Lukaku is pretty bold I think getting rid of Sanchez and Lukaku both in the same window fairly bold we, um, we don't know what he was promised the other side of that though so as it turns out selling Lukaku was a prerequisite for buying Maguire yeah yeah, yeah. as it turns out yeah so that that he might have thought he was getting a striker the um the the other thing that I I think made me feel some sympathy for him in that interview is it's a very difficult interview to give but what you can't do and he said you know I thought we would be on this kind of result I haven't lost at home since August it's like that doesn't mean we're beyond this kind of result we've been really flat at home we've really struggled at home I can't I've lost track of it's all merges into a horrible blur, but I'm pretty sure we've got draws. We should have games that we should easily have won at home. So I'm not convinced it's just like, oh yeah, everything's been fine at Old Trafford. And now there's this one freak bad result. Um, But the, uh, the thing that got me was he sort of said, you know, um, he said at one point, you know, we're working with them, with the players. We're working with the players. And, and it was like, my my overriding thought was, I'm sorry, this is a bit vague because I can't remember the exact context, but I remember thinking very distinctly, whatever work you're doing with the players is not working. Like this is, you might be doing, like, it's great. Yeah, lovely. You're working with the players. What are you doing with them? Because unless it's like teaching Wan-Bissaka to cross, great, that seems to be going well. The rest of it, the defenders can't defend set pieces to save their lives, which is fully a coaching thing. The attackers have absolutely no sense of where their teammates are going to be running a lot of the time. We saw little glimpses of it, but nowhere near the kind of consistency. And as soon as major players are injured, the whole thing falls apart. And also their confidence is as brittle as a a dry cream cracker on Christmas afternoon. You know, tasty. Yeah, no, look, fully agree with with all of that. It, it's whatever. Solskjaer, of course, doesn't have the tools that a, a club of Manchester United's stature should have. 
Ferdinand after the game said £600 million has been spent after Fergie has left. I think it might actually be more than that. I don't see it on the pitch, partly because we transferred half of it out, um, but but much of it because of very poor recruitment. So he's working with tools that are not befitting United. But I think it's okay to hold two thoughts in your head at the same time. And the other half of that is Ollie's not doing enough. Not that I'm saying if you suddenly shipped a top Mandarin with this squad right now in this moment, he'd suddenly have won that game. Not saying that, but, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a pattern, a trajectory. There's something you're trying to build. We, we know it's possible to, to create more than some of the parts. We know it's possible for um, you to build a game plan uh, and a style of play and patterns of play that fashion as much as possible out of the players you've got. And there is some talent in this squad. Massive holes as well, but some talent. And I don't think Solskjaer is doing enough. No, and I think it's abundantly clear. And I don't necessarily think that means you've got to sack him. I don't necessarily think it means that. But, like, and as I said last time, I can't really beat Ole out. It's not really in my makeup. But the injury thing would be one thing where it's like, okay, well, that's that's now you're being negligent to the health of your players. There's a brilliant, if you don't listen to Second Captain's podcast, I'm not going to go for it, but like just listen to the to Monday, this week's uh, episode from a couple of days ago, the 20th of January or whatever it is. Um, listen to that episode because the talk about the kind of myth around long-termism and the injury stuff and also Solskjaer's own personal relationship with playing through injury and what it did to him make this all utterly bizarre. So it's well worth a listen to that. But just generally speaking, it might be that Solskjaer would benefit from another six months at United and things turning around and changing because he's engaged in a process that we're not seeing. That I believe that to be absolutely possible. I'm not sure I believe it to be likely, but I do believe it to be possible. Um, well, it's the story he, him and Woodward are both invested yeah. in. They're in. They are at the hip invested in this, that being the story. Both of them need to buy time to for some chance of that coming yeah. true. Now, we should talk about the atmosphere at Old Trafford, the relentless Glazer and Woodward-related chants, and um, Solskjaer addressing them in a highly Ben Foster-ish fashion. Um, I, I don't even know if we talked about the fact that Solskjaer said after the Liverpool game um, that it's good that we're in it. That shows progress, like... I don't even know the like 20 Moyes legend thing that he said. Um, but he said after this game, you know, and, and again, I have some sympathy. This is actually quite a difficult question to answer. Um, it would be kind of bit, and he wasn't awful about it, but he, the headline was worse than the quote, but like he said, you know, it'd be more helpful to the players probably if they were sort of chanting positive stuff about the players, which I, I don't think that's wrong, but I think he could have done with a little bit more, I understand the front fans' frustration and da 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 da, you know. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, the uh, rejoinder to that is at the very height of the green and gold protest when Beckham picked up a scarf when United beat Milan 4 0 and the atmosphere was absolutely rocking with glazer hate. Didn't seem to impact the players then, did it? I think it's a convenient excuse. And I think uh, Ollie's, uh, Ollie's response is pretty pathetic. I mean, what he said after Liverpool was that we were in it till the last kick of the game. Now, 
It takes a very, very generous interpretation to say, yes, okay, so until the last kick of the game, Liverpool were 1-0 up and one chance for United, one half chance flies in from miles out or whatever it is. Ref picks it up and throws it in. We get a draw. Yes, okay, literally true. But actually, actually, no, miles behind. And 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 it's a little bit, I feel a little bit, it's in the same ballpark when he's talking about the Glazers. Of course he doesn't want to call them out or Woodward. And he's, he's you know, that's why I'm saying they're entwined at the hip. He and Woodward and the Glazers are the same thing, right? The Glazers and Woodward have different, and we, we can talk about this as well, as well. I think they have different needs. Um, but Woodward and Ollie have the same need and it's to buy time. Um, and so for all the sort of the fact that he's a legend, that is always in the back of my mind, you know? And and the pushback on that, of course, that people would say is, well, what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. And- it was the same, it's the same one that people used to say about Ferguson. What do you expect? He's never going to be critical. And if he is, he's going to get the boot like Mourinho. And that may well be true. But he's, but the price of that for Ollie is his respect. The, of, that the fans have of him eventually because it won't last forever. They were, fans at Old Trafford last night were very positive about Ollie. All the Ollie songs came out at the same time as the anti-Glazer, anti-Woodward songs. But it won't be like that forever. No, it won't. And there were boos at halftime as well, which, you know, I don't know about full time. There wasn't anyone left to boo, I don't think. Because for, for Rio said, uh, they left in the 84th minute. That's unheard of at this ground. And I'm like, much, like every single literally. match. But <laughs> he was right about the scale of it. Like it was empty after 85 minutes. And I've never seen that. Like I, People are leaving after an you hour. You know, um, like... In order to beat the traffic, you really, really had to leave early for this one because uh, the traffic just started at the time that the, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. traffic people. Yeah, were. in fact, actually, you, your your cleanest route of, out of OT last night was at ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, because then like you just get ten minutes down the road and catch up with all the people that left. It doesn't work. Um, but yeah, no, it is bad, folks. Brutal, brutal atmosphere. Just brutal, and and it's going to turn. It can't, but. Of course, it only takes one or two good results and everyone feels good again. But the the atmosphere is bubbling into something. Um, and Well, I'm just wondering, like, the, the, the things that, yes, one or two results, but it, that's leaving it to the vagaries of actually performing. The easiest way to buy the fans off, typically, is is to go buy a player, you know, a new shiny toy or something like that. It looks like the Bruno Fernandes deal has collapsed, according to some reports today, over wildly different valuations. We'll see whether that's true. Still nine days to go in the, the window for United to buy a player that they absolutely vehemently told every single journalist on the planet they didn't want in the summer. The other thing is, like, 800 analysts... It's exactly what you said last season. We did a little bit of a transfer chat on the Patreon backers stuff. And I was like, I think Aaron Wambasaka is quite a good right back. And you were like, took 800 analysts and they came up with like Paul going, I think I quite like Aaron Wambasaka. And that was the decision that they made. You know, there, there are other creative number eights. Like Bruno Fernandes is not the entire world but the tunnel vision that United appear to have when it comes to it. And I think a lot of that 
would make complete sense. This is all complete speculation, but what you were saying last last show about the chain of command and how each decision has to be passed up the chain of command and approved at a higher and higher and higher level, that is such a massive logjam. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but do you remember Louis van Gaal complaining about not being able to replace his desk? This was like the the extent to which the decision might have been Mourinho actually, but the extent to which the decisions were log jammed at United, and and that would explain Mourinho complained about having to fill reports out for right. every player he wanted. But there was detail detail. Yeah, but there was someone. Yeah. One of the two of them complained about like very very basic things being almost impossible to do at the club because it was so stodgy. So out of these, out of all this analysis and all this scouting overhaul. That we know there are smart people behind the scenes. We know this for a an actual human fact. Um, there's there's more than just Bruno Fernandes, but he's the only one that there's any talk about because we just get this tunnel vision whenever transfers come up. Let's take a quick break, and then I just want to chat about finance a little bit, and then we'll go into the cup game, shall we? Absolutely. Enjoy no question about that. If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. All right. Money, money, money. Advertising. Yeah. Uh, someone What's someone accused us on Twitter of uh, having a vested interest in United losing, which is absolutely hilarious. Like... Um, Arsenal Fan TV are probably the single fan institution in the world, maybe United Stand, that do better out of frustrated rants than they do when United win. The you want to see our numbers, pal. If you want, if you want to know what we've got a vested interest in, like the amount better off it would be for us if United were good, I can't even begin to tell you. Three hundred percent. Yeah, at least. No, no, at literally three hundred percent. Exactly. Anyway, yes, we'd like United to win. <laughs> yeah. Please, thank you. And, and uh, not least because, of course, we are Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, like, I, I was just... talk, talking to which someone on uh, our Instagram account uh, said that. Uh, Money is the worst drug. He was true. That was true as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one I let pass. That was perfectly reasonable. But the um, but this the first of all, you're beyond anything. Also, like the extent to which you and I would both choose Man United doing well over mildly increased profits from our tiny income generating podcast. Like that that cannot be overstated, ladies and gentlemen. So if you were worried that me and Ed have turned into like uh, Arsenal fan TV and just desperate for United to lose for the viral clicks, that's uh, that's not how the game works. Anyway, money. It isn't. Money, money, money. Yeah, we, we talked about the Deloitte Football um, uh, Money League, whatever it's called these days, report on Monday. But just, like, the more I think about it and uh, in my um, inability to sleep, I started, uh, <laughs> t- started yeah, trying to organise my thoughts. You're making some terrible decisions, by the way, around, around this, like um, scrolling through Twitter, thinking about United's finances. Whatever happened to counting sheep? Well, it's the same thing, really. It's counting of some kind, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no. Well, like, so one of the things was, I was like, why aren't United spending a lot of money, right? And I just, I was thinking about the scenarios of why you might not do that because most business people, most entrepreneurs, people who made a lot of money, not not the Glazer boys because they just uh, are piggybacking on you know dead daddy, 
but um, the most entrepreneurs, um, there's a, a magnificent, very tight correlation between risk-taking taking personality and people who make a lot of money, right? So they, they speculate to accumulate, they take risks, they spend capital to make capital, the usual sort of thing, right? So you apply that logic to football and you get the model that, say, FSG over Liverpool have, which is we will spend money up front in order to get financial gains later, right? So why are United not doing that now, right? When the need is most desperate and Champions League place will cost United like £800 million. Pounds. That's just in top-line revenue, a lot more than that in asset value, right? So, And I just wonder whether there isn't a very good argument to say that they're trying to plump up the... They're either doing two things. One is, and this is the worst-case scenario, but probably the most likely one, they are working backwards from the thing I say, which is they want to be able to pay themselves special dividend. They just last week, actually, we didn't mention it on the pod, paid themselves nine cents a share special dividend. And, you know, which works out a few million, whatever. Semi-annual special dividend. Special because they're going to ex-dividend today, basically, uh, until the next time. Nope, you could, you're going to have to explain that, Ed. You're going to have they to don't, They don't pay terms. dividend out every quarter. They do it as and when they decide to do it. Um, but it looks like they called it semi-annual in the SEC filing. So I guess they're planning another one around May. Um, and um, so what, so what you so work back from that. They want to make sure they pay themselves that dividend. They need about 60 million in operating cash flow, so free cash flow, a bit da profit, for want of a better word. And in order to do that, got to pay some taxes, need to be able to pay themselves this dividend. Um and they may well be making a very rational calculation that right now, if it looks likely they're not going to make the Champions League next year, they're going to take the deduction on the Adidas contracts, about 100 million. Match day, broadcast, Adidas, low 520 to 540 million revenues. So they're just cutting their cloth accordingly. They're going to cut costs. They'll do one big sale, Pogba's the obvious one. They'll remove remove some costs from the wages. They'll invest in youth. There'll be you know cultural reboot. Uh, they'll have a cheap manager, uh, and they'll still be able to pay themselves a dividend. One scenario, and that's a team fourth to seventh, something like that. And they're quite happy for that. And actually, United can survive there, and they can pay themselves this dividend. Second scenario is, and you get the same outcome basically, which is you. Uh, cut costs in order to plump up the EBITDA and make their company look more profitable for a sale. And this is classic corporatism. Got to say, it'd be what I'd be advising a bunch of my clients to do if we were having that conversation, basically. I'm not an accountant, but, you know, anyway. Um, and 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 in that scenario, we're just waiting for our friendly neighbourhood human rights abusers to come along and, and buy the club. That's why I think nothing's yeah, happening um... this window. I'd love, I'd love if we're wrong, but I don't think I will be. So it's gonna, it's, it's really, really. I mean, we've done some bleak podcasts over the last few years, and and the kind of sense that it, it investing hope in United getting better becomes less and less and less tenable. I mean, you know, United fans made fun of Liverpool fans for years and years and years for saying this is our year, and we've. Not exactly ever really said that, I don't think, in the years since Ferguson's gone. Um, but there has been almost like a, a 
almost like Homer Simpson in Lisa the Vegetarian, right? The, it's just a little dirty, it's still good. It's just a little damp, it's still good. It's just a little airborne, it's still good. It's the kind of like, oh, okay, Van Hal's coming in, there'll be a transformation. Oh, now the, the profligacy, um, the parsimony is over and we are investing. We're doing exactly what you just said, making huge investments in the playing squad to try and push United up the table and generate a, you know, keep us in that top table. They've that, they've tried that and it didn't work. They had Mourinho come in, like, guarantee right. of success Mourinho. Yeah. That didn't work. Like, we're at the point now where, where you know, if, if Oli gets sacked tomorrow and Pochettino comes in, I'm not doing a dance of joy that Man United are going to be fixed. A lot of people would be, but I strongly, I mean, I have to say, if Oli was sacked tomorrow and Pochettino came in, I would be a little bit relieved. It's not like I wouldn't have any positive feelings about that. I'd be sad for Oli, but, you know, there'd be some relief. But there's no way, structurally, we're looking at... It's got so much worse in the year since we had almost this exact conversation, like more than a year, a year and a month, we had this exact conversation about, like, the structure's broken, but someone bringing new energy in could make a big difference on the pitch. It's got to the point now where... We've had another year of entropy, another year of damage done to the collective confidence. The rebuild job is even bigger than it was when Solskjaer yeah, took over. Um, look, United um, historically haven't been the biggest spenders. Anyway, spent a lot of money, but I think I'm right in saying it's only three seasons in the Premier League era when United spent the most that season. And only once since the Glazers have taken over. Still managed to spend a lot of money despite not always being the biggest spenders. There's a lot of mitigating factors for that. But I think you're completely right in in this. I think it's perfectly reasonable argument to say, and in fact reasonable from the Glazers' point of view. We spent all this money, we, you know, the club, not their money, spent all this money and oh, yeah. we, we didn't get the results as a result. So, and I think it tallies into my scenario. I think they're, they'd be perfectly... They're perfectly happy. There's a scenario in which they'd want United to be even more valuable and to be a five billion asset or a ten billion asset. And I think there's actually perfectly plausible that United could be a ten billion dollar asset um, because it's actually underexploiting markets now uh, as a as a club. But if it means they're a two and a half billion dollar asset and they don't have to risk a few hundred million in a rebuild, it seems to me they're that kind of family. This is not first generation. They are not the entrepreneurs. They're living off daddy's success in running low-rent malls and a fish-canning business. Yeah. yeah and and a, it's how and they've a, run the bucks for the last 10 years as well. Exactly. And when, when, they, when, when they took over, and there was a lot of looking at the bucks to see how they were run, and the answer was badly. You know, that, that was the answer then, and it's the answer now. And um, there was a degree of emotional investment from Malcolm Glazer in the Bucks, I think, that doesn't exist at all. Like We hear that there's one or two of the Glazer boys who would quite like it if Man United were good. But as a collective, it doesn't. it's obviously not a priority. There's another thing that I wanted to mention, which comes back to the thing about defining terms, because there's a word that we use all the time that is so profoundly misunderstood that we almost forget you've got to clarify this. And it's the word investment. You and I are not saying the Glazers should invest money that belongs to them in the asset that is Manchester United. This is not us saying we want Abramovich or KSI or not. It's probably not KSI, is it? That's the that's the guy who got in the fight with Logan Paul. Um, it, it's not. Um, 
Abu Dhabi, it's not FSG. M- I don't MBS, fact, you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, FSG didn't, in fact, um, do this. FSG did what we're talking about, which is use the money that the club generates to spend the money on the club. That's what we're talking about when we talk about investment. We are not talking about them reaching into their pockets external to Man United from other businesses or their personal wealth and putting it into the club. Nobody's saying that. That's never going to happen. That was ne- That's never the conversation. That didn't used to be what investment meant in this sense. So no, no, t- that's right. And I think we clarified that. Anyway... I think look, I have a very gloomy outlook about United and I don't want to depress everyone because uh, we need people to listen. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, we've got a vested interest in United, but it's all fine. It's all fine. Like, it's going to be great. Yeah, Solskjaer's going to turn it around. We're going to beat um, Watford. We're going to beat Tranmere. Just just cut that out. We don't know you. We don't know who's going. Who we're going to play. <laughs> Half time Tranmere won it up. Okay, we right, right, right. It's we- that's weird. It's weird that the feeling that we're going to play Tranmere has been in my bones all the way through this, even though it shouldn't be that we played Tranmere. I mean, Watford did try to get themselves knocked out twice of the FA Cup so far. Um, but yeah. Uh, having looked at their uh, team, I think they're trying to get themselves knocked out of the FA Cup this time as well. Uh, and and fairly reasonably so, given that they got to the FA Cup final last season, were battered and then didn't win a game for six months because they were so emotionally traumatised by losing 6-0 to a City in the FA Cup final. Um, let's assume that we play Watford. Let's assume that we play Tranmere. That's the last time I'm going to make that joke. Um, let, let's assume that we play Tranmere. Um, the thing that scares me... Most of all is the pitch. I, I'm terrified. You mean a cabbage patch of a pitch with our injury-prone players who are knackered and overplaying is, is going to cause a problem? Because it's away, right? It's away either way. I'm obviously it's away either, either way. way. So in what minute do you think Harry Maguire's thigh goes ping? I just don't even know what to say about this game. This is the madness of the Marcus Rashford thing. I think after the Wolves game, I sort of said I'd probably take... A, the risk it was reasonable to take the risk but hearing everything we've heard about his pre-existing injuries it was absolutely insane to take the risk to get us into the fourth round of the FA Cup like this game what does it do for us like who who cares it's hard to care I mean yes um of course a trophy's a trophy's great, you know. You've been in cup finals, and and it's like United winning is is great. But right now, in the moment, it's going to be the journey painful. from here um, to winning the FA Cup is a long, complex journey. If I believed that beating Tranmere meant we were going to win the FA Cup, I'd be all over it because the FA Cup is amazing and I love it. But um, I do not see this side, which is currently, although not for much longer, fighting on four fronts. Because the Europa League's about to start, people. The Europa League hasn't gone anywhere. It's just sleeping, pretending not to exist. But it's, it's coming back. It's hibernating. It's a bear in a cave that's going to murder us in a month. <laughs> <laughs> Tramia in the relegation zone in League One. They came up by the, uh, the playoffs from League Two last season. The only player I really recognise is Cameron Borthwick-Jackson, who's no longer on loan at Tramia because he uh, didn't make it there. But, you know, hey... He's back up just in case we need it after Luke Shaw injures himself trying to score a goal, which he did last night. We didn't even talk about that, did we? I had the ball in the net, old Lukey. Um, it was like someone said, double BK, and he was like, yes! <laughs> wow, so harsh. The um, the only Tramir player I can name from history is John Aldridge. That's, uh, 
True. Their manager is Mickey Mellon, who only has a wonderful name, 1930s gangster and also Scottish footballer. Um, but yes, the pitch really worries me. It's it's just, it's awful. They don't have good drainage. They've had so many games called off, including the United Women's game recently, Liverpool reserves, loads of uh, Liverpool women's team, um, loads of games. That's why this one's been played on a Thursday night and the uh, the fourth round's on Sunday. So, yeah. So we, are we, we're we hoping Watford make a stirring comeback so we can play their reserve genuinely, side like, on an actual Yeah, genuinely, pitch. that is so much a better outcome. I mean, it's obviously more travel because Tramway is only up the road, but the the idea that this team's going to play on that pitch is against the League One team that are going to be so desperate. They'll smell blood. If they win this game, that'll mean they'll just beaten Premier League opposition four days before or three, three and a bit days before. Like... This isn't so much a banana skin as a deliberately positioned, the kind of oil slick that could take Sergio Romero's car off the yes. road. Was that it, an oil slick? I don't know. I At this point, I kind of think it was uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer throwing a spike <laughs> trap to try and injure another player in his quest to take them all out. So I guess we don't really have a proper preview other than please don't kill all our players. Uh, yeah, can we can we somehow qualify for the Club World Cup and disgrace the FA Cup all over again? Is like is, is it possible for us to exempt ourselves and ruin the magic of the cup one more time? Uh I don't think the uh well yeah, possibly. I I don't think the winners of the Europa League this season will qualify, but I think the winners of the one the year afterwards probably will. I don't it's not been announced, but it looks like there's going to be seven or eight European teams in that newly experienced expanded tournament from 21-22 and probably Europa League winners will be there. And so, you know, if we manage to qualify for the Europa League in next seasons, I don't know, we're not going that way, are we? We're going down, not up. Anyway. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's grim. Like, it is really grim. And that's kind of why I've sort of not really put a load of effort into this preview is just the insane grimness of the overall picture is not going to be made any less grim. And it is very difficult to do prep for a preview for a game when you don't know who you're playing yet. So I mean, I could have done in-depth prep on Watford's B team and Tranmere's A team. But listen, frankly, I just didn't have the time today. Got to be honest, I didn't recognise an awful lot of the names in the Watford side. It's T-Clubs. No, T-Clubs is still injured, isn't he? Maybe maybe Danny Welbeck and Tom Cleverley will make a comeback from injury, a dramatic comeback. Are from they injuries. available for loan? We need some players. <laughs> Listen, you want to offer me Danny Welbeck on loan, I'm going to buy your hand off for it. <laughs> There's a good story in The Sun today uh, saying that United are in for Carlos Tevez on loan, 35-year-old playing for Boca at the moment. Someone somewhere made that up for a laugh and decided to put it in a newspaper or try and get it into a newspaper by tipping someone off. Yeah, almost certainly. Imagine, yeah. though, just imagine for a second, if that isn't the case, and Carlos Tevez is our one signing this. <laughs> They'll burn the place to the ground at that point. That'll be, yeah, anyway. Uh, actually, talking of burning the place to the ground, I do slightly worry about what's going to happen. Because, not that they're going to burn Old Trafford to the ground, but I do... Like, there is a very, very, very ugly vibe developing and it's only going to get worse. And when you take a bunch of very annoyed people and lie to them over and over again to their faces, they don't get less annoyed. You know, you lie to them in a really transparent no, way. No, they don't. But in the, in the past, this kind of protest has fizzled out 
because it's hard to sustain the energy because there's no obvious route to an outcome, you know, an out. Because the Glazers are in total control. They choose everything about this club because they have complete control. So fans are frustrated and it fizzles out because you can't actually generate any action. The 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 thing that really hurts both uh, the finances and the sponsors is for people to not turn up and that is never going to happen and has never happened. So unfortunately... Happened I on mean, Wednesday. Yeah, so, yeah, I know. They were leaving early, yeah. But they, um, they also didn't come. You know, this was a Premier League yes, game. No. This was not a League Cup game. I no, do not no, remember no, Premier League. seats, yeah. Yeah, Premier League weekend, midweek games. I mean, United fans have been singing about City not turning up for a very long time. Turns out, took precisely seven years of us being rubbish for exactly the same thing to happen to us. Yeah, sure. But my point is, it's very, very hard for the fans to make a direct impact without being extremely militant. And I'm, and it just history has told us that it doesn't really happen. So, and and you know, we're fifteen years. We're coming up fifteen years since the Glazers took over. They were. Joy, making should their... we be celebrating the anniversary? Well, this is the thing. I mean, I do think we should be commemorating the anniversary and remember the people who were so devastated that they left to form their own club because they didn't know. Now, obviously, like FC's had a, a complicated history, as you would imagine, in the fifteen years since then, but. The impetus to do that, the kind of like the accusations that they were all splitters and, you know, leaving at the first sign of trouble and all that kind of stuff. Nah, there was heart and soul. This was a question of heart and soul. And here we are 15 years later and you simply cannot argue that the soul hasn't been, if not ripped out, then severely damaged the the soul at the heart of the club, as it were. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Anyway, I guess we ought to leave it. We're not doing uh, listener questions this show. We did kind of promise we were going to do it, but we lied to you people. And we'll we'll be back with that on Monday. Um, Backers, stay tuned. And uh, we've got some nonsense about mascots. Yeah, some proper cheerful chat for backers. So uh, if you want to be cheered up by the podcast rather than bitterly depressed by it, head to patreon.com slash rankcast. Money, no, it's patreon.com slash pod. twice in two weeks. Um... Money really is the worst drug. All right. See you on Monday, folks. Patreon backers, stay tuned. No question for that.